worth the right time The circumstances set up But we're in between us Never saw the slightest sign That it would let up I didn't want to speak What I couldn't take back But I couldn't say nothing Could I not after that So I waited for the right words And never came And the hard, hard truth Is I watched in shame Calling self-preservation a sense The stillness, the science, the acquiescence Please don't mistake it for my consent
and we are live on the Joe Madness Show. We got Robert Wagner coming on the mic. Hey. Here we go, brother. Just give me one second. Okay. How you doing? I'm doing good. This is, I was sitting here listening to you play, uh, jump through some of the tracks on the on the album. It was uh, kind of cool to listen. It's been a while since you listened to your own music. Well, uh, you know, mostly, especially now that we're in this uh, COVID thing, uh, mostly just play solo with my acoustic guitar. And uh, and every now and then, when I hear the whole band, it's like, holy crap, I like that. I, you know, if I did, if I hadn't played it and I heard it, like, oh man, I, I'd love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we don't get the chance to really, uh, really do it. Like, uh, you know, for years that was uh, that was a nightly experience. You know, it, I I went through some of your stuff. I looked at your Facebook page. I looked at uh, your website. I looked at some of the stuff that your your publicist, your manager sent me. Mm -hmm. It was this one thing that stuck out of my mind, though. I don't want to botch the quote, though, but you made a comment, right? He's talked about the banana room. You remember that? The banana. The electric banana, the, the, the club? Yeah. yeah. He said yeah. playing there every day, right? Well, okay. I mean, the, the, are we on or are we just killing time? No, we're on right now. We're on? We're okay. on, yeah. Well, okay, here's the real truth of the way that stuff goes. Uh Back when uh, you know the punk bands were playing, where where are you guys at? What, what's what's your like home setting? Where where what town are you in? Oh, I'm in San Antonio. Okay, well, yeah. uh, in Pittsburgh with the early punk scene, uh, the, people would go down to a music store called Pianos and stuff and rent a little PA system. And one of the bands that was you know most popular. Uh, they're a band called Car Sickness. They kind of rented a PA and kept it, you know, rented it to own it. And then because they had a PA, anytime somebody needed a PA, they'd do a gig with Car Sickness. So it kind of struck me as like, oh man, we get our own PA, we're going to get a lot more gigs. So I think at one point, anytime the banana was bringing in a band that needed a PA, they asked us to play. I mean, I think that's what, what really was. I don't think they liked this all that much. In fact, we had one song called The Taste of Dirt that the owner just really hated and would tell us, uh, you know, please, whatever you do, don't sing that song tonight. And of course, we would always sing it. And then his wife, Judy Banana, would uh, suggest alternate lyrics be less offensive like what you know it basically this is this is a weird anecdote you know i was into radical politics and uh apparently at one point mao Zedong, chairman mao of the communist party of china had to strike an alliance with chiang kai-shek the head of the nationalist party in china during the chinese revolution uh war of independence and uh, the story was to me that mao kidnapped Chiang Kai-shek and said, look, we got we to come to an arrangement. We got to make a deal. I've effed your mother. You've effed my mother. So let's call it. <laughs> so I put that in the song. Uh, 
Somebody said to me, uh, you think you just because you've had a rough life, you have a license to treat people like, I mean, I don't know if we cuss on this show or not. Yeah, do whatever you want, brother. Okay, you have a license to treat people like shit. So I had to, you know, somebody said that to me, so I had to put that in the song. And then I had to get the line in, I fucked your mother and you fucked my mother, so let's see who makes the accusations. And I thought it sounded like a cool line, but the owner of the electric banana really, really hated it. And of course the electric banana was like the, the home of the punk scene of Pittsburgh for a long time. We played played a lot of great gigs there and saw a lot, a lot of great bands there. Uh, but Okay, and, and okay, now I'm being totally honest here. I mean, we, you know, we were much more ambitious. Uh, you know, when the punk thing started, you know, we wanted to take over the world. And that was in an era where the music business really existed. The weird thing was that indie bands, what, do they really want to be indie? They really wanted to get signed to major labels. And uh, yeah, that's the point, they, right? I mean, you they get signed. Jumped, and- yeah, they would have jumped at that. But as long as they weren't signed, they were very patriotic about being underground. And uh, I, I looked at playing at the Electric Banana as sort of like, you know, going on public assistance, right? You could always play at the Banana if, if you're content with niche marketing, if you're content to be comfortable in a niche. But if you want to go out there and conquer the world, you're going to have to go out there and face audiences that aren't uh, – you know, they're not predisposed to like you. In fact, they might be predisposed to dislike you because, you know, you're part of the punk scene. And I mean, you know, now, well, it, I mean, you, you've, if you listen to a little bit of our stuff, it's really not all that uh, aggressive or angry, but all I ever got was the music is so angry. Your music is so angry compared to what, you know? Oh, man. I mean, yeah, I just played you know, some of your stuff. I didn't hear any anger in there. I mean, well, was, was yeah, that more of the new stuff? Know, I mean, right? that's we, we, we worked on that. You know, you want to communicate. You want to build an audience. So uh, first, when we started, well, well, well you know, in the, my first punk band, it wasn't really a punk band, but we were in the punk scene. It was called No Shelter. And uh, we made a what was yeah, probably, kill a name. I love yeah, that. That's probably the best single. Many people agree with me. But I, I, I can go out. I think it's the best single that that scene produced, uh, a song called Brooks Robinson's Camp. Now, Brooks Robinson's Camp, well, you know, what we used to do is after, you, you know who Bruce, Brooks Robinson is? You know, I can pretend to if you'd like me to. Okay, no, no, no. <laughs> okay. There's several Brooks Robinsons. Uh, the Brooks Robinson, I think that it's about, uh, was a third baseman for the Baltimore Orioles, like a Hall of Fame baseball player. And after our rehearsals, there was this yeah. uh, little coffee shop on the, uh, you know, like right off campus of the University of Pittsburgh, and it had free refills on coffee. So we would go there and drink coffee all night. And of course, any place that's open 24 hours and has free refills on coffee, that's going to be where homeless people hang out. So, right. So yeah, guy, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, so this guy comes up to the, our table, and we were like magnets for homeless people. They just loved us. And uh, this guy comes up and basically the song Brooks Robinson's camp is word for word. What we wrote the refrains, you know, th- those are original lyrics, but, but like the verses of his rant is right out of the mouth of, uh, you know, this homeless guy who basically was probably going to ask us for money, but was happy that we were listening to his story. And 
what you know this was in an era when a lot of uh schizophrenics and mentally ill people were it was determined that they they didn't need to be hospitalized so they were put out of the hospitals but then they weren't well enough to live on their own so they went would end up being homeless uh with really nobody caring for it. i think it's still like that today i mean i think probably 90 percent of the people that you encounter are homeless or mentally mentally ill off of their meds and very helpable if you know, they could get over that paranoia and, and, and accept a little bit of help. So anyhow, our single Brooks Robinson's camp comes right out of the mouth of a homeless guy at this 24-hour free refills on coffee place. And uh, a lot of our songs, uh, well, a lot of stuff that I've written, you know, I'm really good at eavesdropping and remembering what people say. So I'll really? take the conversation or entire, like, rants that people will do reformat them so they rhyme and you know stick them in songs so that that was a uh, no shelter and uh, that was like the the precursor to the little wretches like everybody who was in no shelter was the little wretches the little wretches you know that's that's my band that's what i call my band now that's what i call basically since i kind of discovered who i am and what i do the little wretches is, is the name of my my work uh, and uh, you know it's sort of like that blessed are the meek uh, you know, downtrodden outsider. Uh, but when we started the Little Wretches, uh, it was just I played guitar, my brother played violin, and we had a couple of guys doing like Gladys Knight and the Pips. They would do hand claps and doo wop uh, kind of background vocals, um, like the Beach Boys or you know, like classic uh, R and B doo wop. Back, background vocals and just you know for rhythm they would bang on things and we had some saxophone and some flute but it was really uh it was really different and uh yeah we got a lot of encouragement but you know there was no place to play so and, and plus deep down inside i'm a rock and roll guy you know so next thing you know we're adding drums are getting loud again and for First couple of years, people would pull me aside and say, oh, man, you know what? You're really good. But you're <laughs> Your band sucks. You, you guys ain't going nowhere with a band like that. So then we build up this band over the course of time because people thought we had potential and better players would, would become available. And so then eventually we build up like this awesome band. So are you then, talking about the Pittsburgh area? Yeah, 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 and and then then we the, then the rap we used to get was, uh, yeah, man, your band is really good and your songs are really good, but no one wants to hear that shit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no one oh, wants to hear. And 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 you know, because because in their mind, I mean, it, it, we're talking about Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, uh, you know, Bon Jovi, Bruce Springsteen. How would you classify your music, though? How would you classify oh, it? Oh, man. Well, uh, is it folk, though? Is that what it is? You're telling stories, right? Well, yeah, it's, it's that that's I mean, that's the folk aspect of it. In fact, in, in the earliest version of the band, we actually even did old folk songs that we learned out of a book. Uh, you know, we, you know, we didn't want to be like everybody else. Uh, but yeah, okay, if you if you could take uh, 
I mean, my, my early influences, I really, really liked sort of like the noise element of the Velvet Underground, like the screechy violin and the feedback and stuff like that. Oh, and yeah. My favorite guitar players, I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Robert Quine and Ivan Julian, who played for Richard Hell and the Voidoids. So we liked that kind of uh, atonal, uh, out playing. A, a lot of you know, my friends were really into what was called free jazz uh, like my favorite saxophone players are Pharaoh Sanders and Albert Eiler, you know, so we wanted to get like that kind of edgy, just uh, ecstatic, euphoric out, you know, not limited by scales, not limited by keys, get that element into the music while also trying to get the poetry across. And if your main, uh, if your main thing is playing live and you're, and you're serious about wanting to people to connect with the lyrics, there's always this tug of war between the volume. Like there's a, uh, we really had to learn the balance between getting the words across so they would be audible and still rocking. I mean, it's a battle that goes on today. Cause I, frankly, I don't like being too folky. Uh, sort of like we're too folk for the folk scene. You know, you know, like, I feel like the, there's a lot of music where they, they play really hard rock or something like that, and then you can't understand anything coming out of the mouth, right? Yeah, well, especially live, it's different. And once people have heard the recordings, you know, that's like you go to a live show, uh, and you and if if it's songs that you already know because you're familiar with the artist, even if the sound isn't all that good, your brain corrects it for you and you hear the words. Yeah. So you go to a show that you're if it's all new music to you, that's just too much information for you to take all in. You know, and so a lot of our words, a lot of my songs at least are, are real lyric heavy. So so finding that balance between melody, rhythm, space, give people a chance. I mean, and these are things that I, I, I learned along the way, like sing a line, play a line, give give the audience a chance to absorb what you said a little bit. And one of the things that I I've always been proud of, and I've seen other guys do it. I mean, I, I think I'm good, but you know, there's a lot of people that are good. But when you're out playing for an unfamiliar audience in in a club where people have no reason to like you, right? You're a right, yeah. And maybe there's people over there shooting pool or people playing darts, <clears throat> conversations at all the tables, and then you start to play, and then everybody just kind of looks at the stage. The whole room gets quiet. <laughs> and people set down their drinks and they're they you got their attention, and that's like the yeah. best feeling in the world, you know. Uh, a long time ago, I remember uh you know, we you know, we weren't really one of the cool bands because we were on the outside of whatever was happening in Pittsburgh. But we got all these good write-ups, you know, our, our recordings were really strong, not that the radio would play them back then. But we, we got this gig at the south side of Pittsburgh is a super happening place. And uh, like you can't park. Super happening. There. And there, there was a place uh, called Jack's Bar. And then it had an addition to it called the back room, Jack's back room. And we got a gig at the back room. And I remember sitting, waiting to play, you know, just sitting at the bar. And somebody comes in and asks the bartender, says, who's playing here tonight? She says, oh, some band called the Little Wretches. They're supposed, to be, <laughs> they're supposed to be hot shit. And I'm thinking, you know, in about 15 minutes, you're going to see, 
you know, and uh, and we turned out that one turned out to be one of our best regular gigs, South Side of Pittsburgh, Jack's back room. We could roll in there, you know, with our own little PA, just kind of take over, set the vibe that we wanted, you know, establish the mood that we wanted. Uh, yeah, we had a few places like that. We every time that we had the opportunity to uh well okay a couple of couple of bad luck things i mean I, if you read the bio at the website you know we have a lot of dead members a lot of, a lot of ex wretches are in heaven now uh or in the ground and uh that's just something that i can't explain every time we had a band photo taken somebody would either quit or die you know I oh mean, man and then later, once we started to get successful, like there was a time we've been around for a long time, and there was a period where we had to decide, are we going to make vinyl or are we going to make CDs, right? You know, that's the, if, we, if we're an indie band, what are we going to invest in? Are we going to manufacture CDs? Are we going to manufacture vinyl? And uh, so we had three CDs come out in the early 90s that were all really well received. Like, I mean, this is crazy. This is crazy, but the first CD we put out, somebody wrote, uh, the Little Wretched that produced the most powerful body of work to come out of Pittsburgh since time began. You oh, know, man. You, yeah, that's, that's like a pretty... It's pretty deep, right? He, he might be. He might actually be embarrassed at having written that now. But that, <laughs> that And then the, the second CD we came out, same thing. Somebody else, a different writer from a different uh, paper you know, said, you know, best rock recording ever made in Pittsburgh. And that was an album called Beyond the Stormy Blast. So, you know, we were getting some buzz and we had opportunity to uh, start playing out of town. But it just seemed like every time something good, you know, like every time it looked like we were going to break onto the next level, there'd be something, you know, somebody's mother would die or uh, our bass player who was a woman <sighs> would get pregnant. And, uh, you know, so so it's not like we didn't have our opportunities to move into uh, a different realm of the of the business, but uh, for whatever reason, but you did uh, come up with a new album this year, though, right? Oh, heck yeah, yeah. Well, look, uh, if if I never wrote another song, I'd have another ten albums in the can, you know. And but yeah, it's a good, it's it's good, it's good. And uh, you know, it's a different world now too. You know, before I mean, I'm talking about we we were before the internet. Uh, I mean. There, there was a, there were these guys who would come around with video cameras and like videotape all of our shows with these little camcorders, and I'm so happy that they did that. You know, so we we have like hundreds of hours of video up on YouTube that these guys put up. You know, most wow. of it has like seven views, thirty nine views, but all of these shows were documented, and uh, you know, I'm pretty proud of that work. Uh, so, Do you so, think a lot of people are obsessed with the views these days? That's a well, big thing, I right? Man, I don't care. Uh, I, I just what I can control is I can write, I can play, and I can try to give people a reason to care. That's all I can do. Uh, I mean, I know there are people. Uh, look, I, I've been around. There was a time. Uh, 
a band that, that the Little Wretches was often compared to was the Velvet Underground. The Velvet Underground was virtually unknown outside of you know a couple of cities in America. Now they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and are, and are credited as being you know inspirers of a whole genre of music. But you know the fact is most most of their existence was in you know they had a cult following and were unknown by most. So you know. I, We've made, we've made the music we've made. There's more music to be made. Uh, do the work. Don't look back. You know? I want to ask you about this, um, this thing you do. I read it, right? I read it on the, the thing your, your management team sent over. It says that you play about 10 minutes. You kind of mix it up your own kind of way. And it said something about the velvet, right? Okay, okay. Well, there's... Okay, let, let's see if we have some common ground here. Uh, do you know uh, the album Horses by Patti Smith? Are you familiar with the artist Patti Smith? You know, I'm really bad with artist names, but if I heard the, the music, I could probably recognize okay. it. Well, when she came up, she was taking like classic rock and roll songs, like classic garage rock songs, and adding her own poetry to it. So, you know, sort of like... Uh, you know, taking the old something that the audience would be familiar with and then adding some like high art, really, uh, you know, really advanced challenges. Oh, poetry. I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah. So, you do you know, it in your lives, though, right? I've seen yeah, you do well, that. What I was, well, what I did, there, there's a, a, my favorite song is called I'll Be Your Mirror by the Velvet Underground. And to me, that's like the mission statement for an artist. What, what is my job as an artist? What is my job as a writer? I'll be your mirror reflect what you are in case you don't know. And uh, so I, I have uh, this poem that's mutated over the years, but it was one of the first poems that, that I actually had published, you know, when, when I was younger. And uh, so I go back and forth between the poem and the song. And the song, I can open the shows with it. I can close the shows with it. I can do it somewhere in the middle. Uh, last time I did it, uh, it was about 14 minutes long. You know, it depends on how, how attentive the audience is. The audience is usually attentive, but uh, but it's not for everybody, you know. No, we get a comment here. It says, you do you play instruments? And I believe you play the guitar and yeah, I well, you I play, play the harmonica, yeah, right? Now. Yeah, yeah, I play the guitar and harmonica. I mean, I play the bass. Uh, you know, I can bang on things. But basically, uh, I don't think anybody's going to pay to hear me sing. I can sing well enough to deliver my songs. I don't think anybody's going to pay to play my to, to to hear me play the guitar, but I have my own unique unique style. I've had guitar players try to you know like real great guitar players try to copy my playing, and they get frustrated. It's like you don't play like a guitar player. That's funny. A little bit self taught. I mean, I figure out a few things that that I can do that work for me, that lay easily for, for me. But like if, if you were the kind of guitar player that can play anything, what I play wouldn't make any sense to you. It's like, I'm, it, it's not like it's all that unique or original. It just, it's not how real, you know, if you were Eric Clapton, you think what I play is just. You got a new fan right here. I don't know if you see the comments in that, but. Angelita, well, thank you. Well, I'm glad you like it. Oh, there, look, we, we, uh, you know, I believe in the music. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we put the new album out this year is uh, the, uh, like this COVID thing, 
you know, you got to look for the silver lining. It's leveled the playing field. I mean, there was a time when we first started out where like making a record was a sign of commitment. Booking a gig out of town was a sign of a commitment. You know, like uh, people would treat you with respect, would take you seriously. You were a cut above others because you were putting the work in. Uh, and it got to where like any kid with a laptop can make a Grammy Award uh, winning uh, <laughs> album in, in his bedroom. Uh, okay, so yeah, now, with all the software they got on the computers nowadays. Yeah, yeah. yeah but but you know the the playing field is level now. We have as much chance as anybody else. Uh, it you know even like your podcast, you're like a needle in a haystack. So that way, yeah. Sometimes. There, <laughs> so so okay. Let let's. Uh, the, the question was uh, how many are in the band? That right? varies on the setting. Basically, the, our ideal lineup. Uh, okay, I, I can play by myself. I can also play with a harmony vocalist. My 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 best person to play with was the piano player David Losey. Uh, people, you know, he, he something happens when Dave and I play together. You know, there's this thing that's better. He makes me better. I make him better. Takes us into another league. And you then got the Ellen chemistry, Hildebrand, yeah. Yeah, and then Ellen Hildebrand, who uh, played bass and rhythm guitar with the Little Wretches. She, when I met her, she came to her audition. She she had a guitar that was like impossible to tune. It was like a pawn shop guitar. Uh, she and she played a couple of songs in a really rudimentary way. But we were talking, and she just seemed so tough. And it turned out she went to college on a basketball scholarship. Like, okay. so she understands teamwork, and she's tough, and she wants to play in a band. She's in my band, right? But she's a little gentle, right? Just a little bit. What do you mean? She plays the piano. I mean, it's going to take no, a little no, no, gentleness, no. She right? Played, well, she, she started off on, on, a, on rhythm guitar, electric guitar, <laughs> and she switched to bass. And now she still plays guitar. But when Ellen, Dave, and I, Dave's the piano player, when Ellen, Dave, and I play together, that's like, okay, now we're really a force. And then, yeah, to drum. There's a few drummers that we play with that are pretty good. Uh, the thing about being a, you know, I mean, we're a working class band in the, in the respect that uh, a lot of the guys we play with, they have families they got to take care of and they can't pay their insurance and do all the things that family men have to do. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we have a, you know, a select group of drummers that we can call on who who are good. And uh, now the band was founded by me and my brother who played violin. My brother passed away. I I would do anything to have my brother come back. You know, if, if nobody, he played violin like I play guitar. Nobody played violin like my brother. It was always a little bit off pitch. Uh, like if you were a skilled, schooled violinist, you wouldn't play what he played. Here's but, an interesting one. I don't know if you see this one. Can you play music when you're drunk? Uh, most people can't tell when I'm drunk. <laughs> I'm, I'm, told, I'm told that uh, I talk more. Like, okay, this is an interview, so I'm doing a lot of talking. But in real life, I'm, I'm thought of as a quiet person in social settings. I don't know about you, but I'm just having a conversation with you. I, yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that's, 
yeah, so we're talking, but but in, in social settings, I have a tendency to be quiet, uh, but I'm told that I talk more when I drink. And then the funny thing that happens, it's like, because I'm completely a sound mind, I, I might start to realize that I'm having a more difficulty pronouncing my words. It's when I stand up and my one Ooh. leg doesn't work. It's like, oh, I must be drunk. This, <laughs> you know, as long as I'm sitting and talking, I I, I can drink a lot. Uh, and my preferred drink, you know, I'm a whiskey drinker. I, I uh, God bless whiskey. I can only drink like three beers. Like if, when I get to my third beer, I'm done. It just doesn't taste to me anymore. But uh, you know, I grew. I'm a. When I was a kid, my my mom and dad would sometimes have parties, and uh, there was a drink that I guess the Frank Sinatra and like the Rat Pack used to drink. It was called a highball whiskey and ginger ale. So that was the drink that uh -oh. everyone at these adult parties. And then when they all would leave. You know, I, as a little kid, I'd walk around the room and drink everybody's drink. So from the time I was three years old, I liked that flavor of whiskey and ginger ale. So that's that's the official drink of the Little Wretches is a double whiskey pop up of ginger ale. You put ice in there or is it no ice? Uh, well, I would prefer the ginger ale to be ice cold and, and not add ice. Now, okay, I don't think the back room, we, we don't play the back room anymore. So let me tell you something. When my brother was really sick and on the verge of dying, the band had a gig at, at the back room, this club I was telling you about earlier. And when I was visiting my brother, he was in the hospital down in Florida, and I came back with a real bad throat infection. But I decided I was going to try to do the gig anyhow. So I ordered a triple whiskey at the, at the bar, and the guy insisted on putting ice with it in it. It's like, man, I don't Ooh. want ice. And I realized, oh, he was putting ice in it because it was already watered. I mean, I drank like three triple whiskeys and felt nothing. nothing. No. Okay, okay, so he's watering these drinks, and he insisted on putting ice in it. So and then they want a tip, right? It's like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, well, that's, on. you know, they got to make a buck. They got to make a buck. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I drank. Uh, but no, we I, didn't even hear the music today. Yeah. I played Joe. his music. Yeah. yeah, the music that I heard today, uh, I, 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 while I was sitting in the waiting room, I was hearing you playing The Little Wretches, and then you switched right over to something right before, uh, what, what did you play right, right when you stopped playing The Little Wretches? What, there was something else that came on for a second. Are you talking about the second one? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It was right. It was uh, right. It was a melody with you guys just, uh, just kind of singing all together for like 20 I seconds. Know, I heard you playing Us. But then yeah. I, I thought there was one thing that you played that wasn't us right right before I came. That's huh? a really interesting question. I can tell you right now if you want. Let me see here. So I got a press kit from your, your people. And one of the things they, they gave me, let's see if I can find it real quick. Uh, let's see here. All right, here we go. All right, as soon as it loads up. But yeah, basically, I was just picking uh, some of these songs that I got. Uh oh, we got some music coming on. All right, let's see if I can just pull it up real quick. Well, anyway, just keep talking. I'll tell you in a minute. It doesn't matter. I'm glad people are interested. Uh, 
So that's, uh, I don't know, man. The, uh, I, I hope. What's Not today, the, Satan. Hey, Joe. What? Let's let's uh, see. Uh, let's see. I got I got the it the not today, state. Yeah, I love that shirt. You got a little Walmart. Oh, you got that at Walmart? Oh, oh yeah, man. They got some beautiful stuff for five dollars at Walmart. <laughs> if you're gonna wear that, I'm gonna wear this and I put on my. Yeah, you know, I was watching a live video with you wearing that, and somebody asked you why you had a bowl on your head. Did you see that comment? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah that, that was somebody who knows me. She was teasing me. Oh. <laughs> one, of the other guys, one of the other guys who was in the audience was in the Navy. And uh, just uh, just last week, I was wearing this. I, I went for a, a bike ride. Uh, I went for, for a pretty long bike ride and I stopped off at a convenience store and I had my little pop I had on and there was a sailor with a you know uh his, his navy veterans hat on and so he, he saw my hat and asked me you know were you were you in the navy it's like oh no man I, I'm not trying to steal your valor or anything uh I just like pop you know but uh thank you for for serving and it turned out we had a pretty pretty cool conversation but most people when they see me see me wearing this uh, you know, if they were in the Navy, that's the first assumption that they made is that I'm a Navy veteran and I am definitely not. I just, when I was a kid, I liked Popeye. And, uh, the other, is that the other, actually a Navy hat though? It just kind of looks yeah, like a prop. Get I, got it, I got it at like an RV Navy Surf Plus store for seven bucks. And, uh, and, and the inside joke, since my band has been compared to the Velvet Underground so much, the Velvet Underground's most famous song is a song called Heroin, you know, like the drug. And there's a line uh, where he says, I wish I could ride uh, on a great big clipper ship going from this land here to that. I'd put on a sailor suit and cap. So my, when I put on my sailor's hat, that's a nod to Popeye the Sailor Man, and it's a nod to Lou Reed and his song. Yeah, I era. saw that. You you had like the the little tattoo, or was it just kind of painted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just drew drew the. Egg. I don't really have. I don't really have a tattoo. All right, I got I, it. I got I it right now. I looked at the Popeye cartoon and uh, said, "Okay, what's exactly what, what? Okay, that's he has the anchor on his forearm." Uh, yeah. When when I was a kid, literally, uh, I would play Popeye. My mom would give me a an empty can of spinach. I'd stuff it down my undershirt. I'd put on my little Popeye hat. My aunt would give me a corn cob pipe. And I'd walk around the neighborhood. And I was not pretending to be Popeye. I was Popeye. Uh, and, uh, you know. All right, Popeye, so this is what you heard right here. It is the Little Wretch's Someday Vocal Fragment. Uh, Remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what's that That was happening when we were, uh, when we were tracking the vocals. Yeah, I love that. It sounds beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's uh, from from the the song. I think that comes on right after it is called uh, "All of My Friends." And, that, and while we were tracking the vocals and listening to the playback, I was like, "Man, that sounds so good." Let's take a little snippet of that and let it stand on its own. The the singer, okay, for the band that's on that album. Uh, want to give him credit uh the piano player on that is a guy named hk hilner uh bass player john carson drummer mike madden and then really the star of the show even though she's singing background vocals 
uh, Rosa Colucci. I call her Rosa Rocks, but her real name is Rosa Colucci. And uh, Rosa Rocks. Yeah, she she brings uh she you know there's something that happens when she plays. You know, there's a charisma that she brings. There's an energy in addition to her beautiful voice. Uh, she just takes what is there and makes it something else. You know. And that's the best. Some people, people just have that, though, right? They have that thing, that X factor. Right. It just kind of makes everything come together, right? Yeah, we we, we were playing one time. Uh, I used to host, host an open mic in Pittsburgh, and uh, for a folk yeah, music, somebody wants group. you to play something. Yeah, yeah, I got this guitar. I'd love to play something. Uh, but Rosa jumped up on stage, right? Uh, somebody said, hey, get, you know, let Rosa sing." So she jumped up. She pulled her shoes off, and she was using her shoes as a percussion instrument. She was banging her shoes together when she sang. I mean, just lit the place up. She, I mean, she's a killer. Uh, so do you, you want me to play one? Yeah, play something. What do you got? Uh, okay, all right. Okay, this this uh, new album, or is this going to be the old stuff? Yeah, yeah, this is going to be off the new one. This is off the new one. This is all called Who's America? Okay, and I hope it sounds all right. I know sometimes through the, through through these get ups the the sound isn't always that good but I'll, I'll give it a shot counting the bottles all empty and broken the asthmatic parasites squealing and choking You paste up discarded when your wallet gets stolen. <laughs> your lipstick is smeared and your eyelids are swollen. You're up in the morning and you're down in the spirit. You're five minutes late and they don't want to hear it yet. Doctor, half hour, you shot by how homeless these people are mindless and spineless and joyless. Who is America? Is this America? Who is America? Is this America? Who is America? Is this America? Prettier girls caress styrofoam coffee cups. A cigarette smoke and a mirror for making up. You look pretty normal, but you feel out of place. Cause you don't care about the things they chase. Your family and friends give each other support. Spending their lives selling themselves short. Years fly past when you're caught in the flow. A person can't want what a person don't know. Who is America? Is this America? Who is America? Is this America? Who is America? Is this America? the big shark in the small pond who's the uncrowned king of the dump every now and then you like to toss a few crumbs or watch all the suckers jump 
You take care of your own kind first. Those who have shall have more. There's one pen mightier than the sword that signs a declaration of war. Any boy can be president, but only one per generation. When one man strikes it rich, 99 others find deprivation. For every beast of burden who is cut loose from the yoke, 99 others work twice as hard, believing they've got a hope. Don't be afraid when you're out late waiting for morning. You're by the riverside, watching raindrops on the wharf. There's thunder and the lightning, it's gonna start pouring. We didn't pay a time, we got the best view. In the world who is america is this america who is america is this america who is america Ooh, in america they call it fear Ooh, in america they call it fear Wow. Look at that. Robert Wagner from the Little Wretches. Yeah. Well, see, that's a. I, I can sit here and play till midnight. You know, I got a question for you, though. That, okay. that song, This Is America. Have you heard of Childish Gambino? He's a rapper, a singer. Yeah. He came yeah, out with a yeah. song called America. Have you heard that? Uh, I don't know if I've heard that exact track. I, you know, I'm a teacher. I teach uh, at risk and court adjudicated kids and kids with like emotional problems. And we had a kid that got super, super depressed a couple of years ago, but he liked music. And so he gave me he gave me a suggestion of some music that I ought to get. And Childish Gambino was one of the artists. Uh, like like my, my, my uh, hip hop collection goes back, you know, Public Enemy, uh, you know, the color soundtrack, the hustle and flow soundtrack. And it and I've always had students uh who kept me up on contemporary music. Like uh back around maybe 2006, I had a kid who was basically expelled from school and it was my job to teach him in his home. And he would burn me these little Wayne discs, you know, those little hugely <laughs> prolific. And uh so we would have a little thing every time I'd go over to his house. He'd give me new music to listen to. I'd give him new music to listen to. And, uh, I mean, this kid believed that Bob Dylan and Little Wayne were cut from the same cloth. They, they'll say anything crazy. Wow. And, uh, it's funny, though, because Little Wayne, once the, once the whole – I don't know how far back you, back you go with it. I know you asked me about Childish Gambino, and I just changed the subject. Uh, yeah. I didn't mean to do that. But but is but I'm basically saying my, my knowledge of hip hop music is really spotty. But Little Wayne, I probably have most of what he's put out 
uh, probably have most of, uh, well, I have a lot. I have a lot of stuff, but it's, it's not always in my, uh, in, in my listening mix, but, but Little Wayne was so prolific. And it, when once the mixtape tape things phenomenon started to happen, so that he could come out and do like twelve lines on a track, and that'd be it. I feel like he really yeah. slipped off, you know. But uh, but man, there was a period where he was just a force. Uh, you know. Yeah, there's a lot the of good ones out there. Guy, the, the, the the kid turned me on to Childish Gambino, uh, Common. Uh, he liked the guy, I think the British guy, Raleigh Ritchie. Raleigh Ritchie. Hmm. Yeah, you ever hear him? There were so many people out there, Robert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there were yeah. so many yeah. people, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like you, man. I'm always working, right? I mean, you always got to work on your product. You got to make it oh, better. Yeah, yeah. America yeah. by Childish Gambino. That's what you need to listen to. Yeah, man, yeah. You remind yeah. me of the same song, except he does it a little bit different. Yeah, so okay. Crazy. Well, I'm definitely gonna look it up. I mean, it's one click away. It might be the first yeah. thing to do when I get when I get off the get off the call. Yeah. Can yeah. we hear the? Can we hear the the first track though? Silence. Uh, I love that. Can song. I play it or are you gonna? Yeah. Play can it? you play it? Yeah. Can you play it? Oh man, the, you like that one? It's that one's really hard for me to play. I, I mean, I'll give it a shot because I'm, I'm not afraid of anything. But on the record, you know, it's got yeah, it sounds amazing. Out. Yeah, it's got a lot of good stuff going on, and basically, I'm going to be doing this folky lamo attempt at silence. But but I, I really believe in the song. I mean, I think the song is, is uh, people love the acoustic version. Though, come on, yeah, people yeah, all right. words come easily harsh harsh words come easily to me I was waiting for the right time the right chance for circumstance to set up the wedge in between us never showed the slightest sign that it would let up I didn't want to speak what I couldn't take back So I couldn't say nothing, could I? Not after that So I waited for the right words They never came And the harsh, harsh truth is I watched in shame Silence Who's made a liar out of me? Silence has made a liar out of me. When I don't know what to do, I do nothing. Call it self-preservation or sense. The stillness, the science, the acquiescence. Please don't mistake that for my consent. The 
The harsh words came, but I held my tongue. And I could have said something, but I stood there dumb. And I waited for the right words, they never came. Now the harsh, harsh truth is I watched in shame. Silence has made a liar out of me. Silence has made a liar out of me. You gotta love it. and the band takes over and you know i'm trying to compensate for the lack of a band but yeah I like <laughs> you know that the, the, the idea that uh tell me about that though silence makes a liar out of me what well, does that mean to you i mean that could be that could be on a lot of different scales could be on a very just simple personal personal level uh where look in fact, well, maybe the most important time is on a personal level when you know something wrong is happening, and uh, and it, you know you're there and you got to you got to speak up, you got to step up and say you're making a mistake or you're doing what's wrong. Uh, now, and I mean honestly, for me, I, especially when I'm under stress, I can get really nasty and. Uh, uh, I'm not a violent person, but I can be pretty intimidating. But, uh, you know, harsh words came, but I held my tongue. And then you look back on it and said, man, I could have stopped something that shouldn't have happened. And I didn't. And I'm ashamed of myself. Uh, and, you know, it, it's powerful. I don't want to get too corny about it. Like it happens in bullying circumstances all the time where people would like, you know, I work, work a lot with kids and, uh, you know, I see it happen all the time where kids will, uh, if somebody is being targeted, they'll align themselves with the bullies basically because as long as I'm aligned with the bully, then the bully's not picking on me. And then when it's all over, they'll talk about how bad that was. And then, uh, you know, I, I've, I've worked with kids who I thought were best friends. And then when the one kid moves away, the other kid tells me, oh, man, I hated him. Like, what do you mean you hated Ooh. him? Yeah. It's like, no, it's, it's not like, Well, I thought you guys were best friends. It's like, Mr. Bob, 
keep your friends close and your enemies closer. <laughs> like, oh, man, so you can never really tell sometimes what people really think. Uh, but you get a master's though, right? On, on a larger, on a larger social scale too. I mean, I mean, we're in a weird period now with the. Uh, I mean, you know, the internet has changed everything. Uh, Big game changer. Yeah, well, one one of the as far as like people's, it's so hard to get a read on what's really happening in the world because uh, in my daily life, but like okay, I work with kids on the autism spectrum also, and a lot of really. Yeah, a lot of what we do is, is, is called applied behavior analysis. Say if there's a behavior that you want to change, like a weird thing that, because you know, autistic uh, people, they just process information through a different lens than we do. And uh, so you're trying to find a way to communicate with them, and you're trying to encourage behaviors that we regard, you know, it's less stigmatized, right? You know, we like what, what is normal? It's your life. You're gonna you're gonna live the life that you want to live. But if I can teach you how to be a little more functional in society, you might have you know you might enjoy your life more. So we we, we collect data. Say if there's a behavior that the kid do, does, you know I'll be keeping track of how many times in a half an hour he, he does it. And then we think of okay under what circumstances does he do it and how can we get him to change it. So basically I'm saying the data of my life, the things that I observe. I see humor, kindness, people getting along with each other. I don't see a whole lot of conflict and strife, you know, and I get around. I get around in small towns. I get around in Philly, Delaware, you know, so I've been in a lot of settings and I basically see people with a lot of love, a lot of fun, a lot of humor. But then I look at the news, I look at Facebook and I, you know, and you would think that the world's on you know, the world's coming to an end where, you know, like, oh man, that's not, that's not what I'm seeing. I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. I'm, but like I said, it's hard to get a read on it. And uh, what are people seeing though, that is just giving them that, that thought that the world is truly coming to an end because they've been saying that for decades, ever since yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't know, man. I, I uh, but like, okay. With this COVID thing, Oh, COVID-19, right? I, I'm not afraid. I, I wear a mask when I go out sometimes. Because uh, they make you, right? They make you wear one. I do it so that other people will be not afraid of it. But, okay, so, so I spend a lot of time on the trails out where I live. And uh, so I'll have my mask down around my neck. And if I oh, come, yeah. come up to people that have the mask on, I might pull it up. Uh, but uh, but you know I wear it as a courtesy for the people who worry. But me, yeah, more out of respect, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not, but I'm not worried about it at all. And uh, and it's hard. I just don't get why people are so afraid. But but they are. I mean, their fear is real. And I understand that there are people who you know who die. It's fear of the unknown. That's what it is because there's so much misinformation out there in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I just fear is just not not it's just not natural for me. You know, I'm not. Uh, I, I mean, you know, when when they talk about you know white privilege or male privilege or something like that, you know, I've never, you know, and I, I've I've been in situations where after they were over, I look back and I think, man, it might not have been so smart for me to be there. But uh, 
you know, I'm not. I've but never, what is white privilege, though? It's just oh, a thing man. that people just made up, though, right? I mean, is that a okay? Real okay, let, let me give you a, a let me give you a couple of things. Well, to, I, I think okay. First, it's one of the, this is one of the things that's touchy to talk about uh, because people are so sensitive to it. Uh, but okay, at this, the one school that I was working at, I. I I'm afraid, uh, I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm just going to tell it like it is. Uh, most of the kids in the program, probably probably about 50%, uh, you know, we're talking about court adjudicated, kids with delinquency, kids with mental health issues. They're living in a residential program. I'm their school teacher during the day. Then a few days a week, I work with them in the houses. They live on the campus. And it was this beautiful summer day on the weekend. And, uh, I, you know, the, the kids are like, hey, uh, Mr. Wagner, you know, take us on a nature walk. Take us on a nature walk. There, there's this nearby creek. Plus, okay, guys, let's go. So I took, I might have had like eight or nine kids come with me. And we walked over to the creek. And they were waiting in the creek. So we walked from one bridge up to the other bridge and the kids are having a blast. Now, when we leave the campus, one of the kids says, come on guys, we're Trayvon Martin. And we all put our hoods, <laughs> right? So everybody puts their hoods up. And then, so we're walking through the creek. Oh man. And then we get, when we get up to the next bridge, like I'm ready, you know, I'm done playing in the water. So I walk up to the bridge and another kid comes up with, and uh, you know, it, it, Basically, now we're out in the farmland here, you know, cornfields and bean fields and horse farms. And uh, me and this black kid are standing on the bridge and uh, everybody else is still down on the water. And, and the kid says to me, Mr. Wagner, why do I get the feeling that all these people are looking at me out the sides of their necks? And, and, and I, I get the feeling like every time a car comes by, I kind of slow down and they look at us. It's like, well, Daniel, they're looking at, at you because they're not used to seeing black kids up in this part of the, you know. They, they, so they're just wondering who you are and what you're doing here. So they're, you're a curiosity to them. And then, so finally, my phone rings, and it's the people back on the campus calling to tell me that the police are looking for us. Somebody at Hall called the cops. They didn't realize that I'm a grown man. And they think that all these kids are runaways from, from the program. So I call the guys up and say, come on, guys, we, we better uh, better start heading back to campus. Please, whatever you do, let me be in front of the group so that the first thing the cops see is me. And so I got my ID out. And then that's exactly what happened. As soon as the cop pulled up, he saw me. He gives me a wave, says, oh, man, I'm sorry. Just checking in. We, we heard that uh, there were some kids up here trying to flag down cars. Like, now, nah, what? Flag down cars. One of the kids. Oh, man. Had, uh, I mean, he was so happy to be outside. He took off his wet shirt because he'd been playing in the creek and he yeah. was trying to wring it out. And whatever the case, I mean, I think maybe sometimes they just need an excuse to, to say why they pulled you over. But we were on foot. But I mean, that's the type of thing that would not. I don't think it would have happened if all the kids were white. So that that's one of those weird little racial things. Then on another thing, on a Sunday morning, I took two girls from our program to church. And when we came back from uh, church, 
the cafeteria didn't save us any food. They save, you know, we had like these cold grilled cheese sandwiches. Like we're not eating this. So we go up to a local buffet. Yeah. The buffet is real picky about you got to eat all your food in. You can't take any food out. And uh, I don't know what the story was, but we were like the last ones there. And the girls that came with me, you know, two, two African-American girls, really dainty eaters, right? They got hardly anything to eat. And uh, while we're sitting at the, at the table, I mean, I'm conscious of the fact that there's a worker who comes and starts like cleaning the windows. Well, those windows don't need to be cleaned. His manager told him, go keep an eye on those girls. Make sure they don't, you know, they're not putting food in their purse or something. Then, wow. I mean, that's okay. Now, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I might be misinterpreting that. But but to me, it was definitely, definitely uh, in, this, in this setting, we don't usually get black customers. We hear they steal. I mean, I'm reading their minds. I mean, I'm, I'm imagining. Yeah. I might be wrong about all of this. Maybe the guy really was washing the window. Maybe the other worker that came and sat in the next booth was just on a break. But I had the feeling that we were being observed. How busy were they, though? They weren't busy. They weren't Okay. Busy. Cleaning you know? windows, it's a possibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, but whatever the case, you know, I... You know, I mentioned to one of the staff, you know, that 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 is would be a creepy feeling to feel like you're being watched, right? It's and a like, sad reality did, that happens all across America. Do, what did I do that you were gonna look at me and think that I'm a potential criminal? Come on, you know. So I mean, in that in that sense, I would I would say that that's I'm probably not ever looked at like that, you know. So I mean, to me, that would that would be an example of a privilege that I have. But then I also know from community to community, having worked a lot with, like, with at-risk kids. I mean, the real truth is, as much as we want to live in a non-violent world, uh, there is a pecking order. Nobody's going to mess with the craziest kid, and it's good to be friends with the with the best fighter, right? You know, the kid. If, Not a bad thing, no. You know, no, no. so and for for certain kid, you know, kids, you know, violence is a virtue. You know, nobody's going to mess with me because they know I can take care of myself. And uh, that's uh, in that setting. Uh, I'm not I'm not quite sure how to put it, but in in some settings. Uh, I've I've heard white kids swear that they're not white. Right? Yeah. You know, I've white kids say, "Oh, I hate white people. Oh, I'm not white. I'm Puerto Rican." Like because they're afraid that if if they're white, they're going to get picked on because they're in a majority uh, dark skin. Wow, community. I never even thought about that. That's uh, something new. Weird yeah, thing. That's a weird thing. And and then then the other weird thing that that I used to encounter uh, would be kids who would. They would feel like they would have to claim a gang affiliation, and uh, like, and that, that you try to tell them, don't falsely claim a gang affiliation because that could get you killed from kids that are in real gangs. You know, just be who you are. But you know, when you're all alone in the world, you got no family, and they stick you in a strange place with a bunch of kids you don't know. Uh, 
some kids will feel like they need to say and do things. Don't mess with me because I have friends outside of here. This is an amazing conversation I've been wanting to have for a long time. This is uh, is good stuff. I love it. Yeah. Well, anyhow, I've uh, I've spent a lot of time around around kids that. uh, You always learn something new, though, right? Every time you hang out with teens or children, right? Well, you know, new. With, with 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 this this thing that I do, uh, the the teaching, it's not hard for me. I mean, I've heard people say that like, oh man, that, that's such a hard job. Like, it's really not. You know, I get paid. I get paid to hang out with juvenile delinquents and teenagers. It's it's not hard. You know, but I'm it a takes natural. a certain type of person to do it though, because you know, even parents are struggling with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know. But they, I mean, in the same way that when I work with autistic kids, you, they're just looking for a way to communicate. They want to be heard. They want to be respected. And uh, I don't, you know, look, I, I've uh, I've got this knack where if a dog's barking, I'll come along. The dog will stop barking. You know. Uh, baby crying. <laughs> I'll come along. The baby will stop crying. I don't know. Wow. I mean, I don't know where that comes from or what it is, but I'll take incarnated Jesus, right? They, they, they pay me. I mean, I get paid to do a job that I would do for free, you know. And I feel like that about music too. I mean, you know, I, I pour my heart and soul into these songs. I feel like. You know, obviously, yeah, you want to make a living off of it. You want to make at least a profit at it. But I would do it for nothing. And I feel like I'm in the debt of people who listen. Like, I, I am so grateful that you came to my show and you sat and stayed to the end. Uh, I'm gl- what can I What can I give you? You know, but, you know, obviously, they're, they're they feel like they, uh, they're, they're great. So it's, but... I've never, you know, like I said, I've never been afraid and I've never really counted my money. I don't balance my checkbook. I mean, that's there's a lot of unwise things, but I, I don't really. That's an old money. people thing, though, isn't it? Like just balancing the checkbook and all that paper trail crap, right? I mean, oh, that's man, what old I, people do, right? Like, well, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, look, if, if I, I don't know, I mean, man, this this is America, things are just so plentiful here. I'm just not afraid of having nothing. And when I was a kid, there was a time when I had nothing. You know, I mean, there were there was a time. This this is this is another. I don't know. If, uh, I, I don't want to beat your ear with this, but I I had a weird teenage life. You know, when I was a young kid, uh, it was the ideal world. Like my, I thought my father was Superman. I thought thought my mother was beautiful. Uh, it was all all my needs were cared for. And things went crazy in my family. And my dad, uh, who pretty, you know, a lot of people told me he was the toughest guy they ever knew. He and my mom split up. And he used to come up to the house every day, uh, drunk. Now, you know, after he moved out, he would come up, try to get her to take him back. And it would be my job keep my dad away and he would bring up straps to strangle her with or a bb gun to shoot her with or a knife you know you're being totally dog. serious right now i'm being totally serious it was my job <laughs> to keep my dad away. Wow. so my mom had the flea she took my brother and sister but she she didn't take me it's like well, i'm supposed to be your favorite how are you gonna leave me and take my brother and sister 
years later, she told me, well, I just thought she'd be able to handle it. But the very same day that she, she moved away, my the cops went to my dad and said, you better stop coming around. If we see you up there one more time, we're going to lock you up. So my mom left and my dad stopped coming around and I was living in the house all by myself. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I would generally go a couple hours. I would go to school, but usually a couple hours late every day. And I, you know, I'm pretty smart. So I was able to keep my grades up, but eventually I ran out of food in the house and uh, I would go to the general nutrition center and they would have like free samples sitting out and I would eat all the free samples. And then I would go to a different grocery store every day. And I had a little thing. I would get a package of cheese, put it in one pocket, package of lunch meat, put it in the other pocket. And I lived by shoplifting for a long time. That's and what a lot of people don't understand, though, right? They, they see people doing that, and they're just like, oh, they're criminals. They're people oh, that, that aren't even trying in life. And, I mean, that's a real-life yeah. example right there, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, but, I, you know, and, of course, at the time, I thought I was, like, really a good criminal. You know, I thought I'm, I'm an expert shoplifter. And I look back on it. I'll bet you a lot of people knew what I was up to and just kind of felt like, he wouldn't be doing it if he didn't need it, you know. And I'm told that in school, same thing, is they knew something was wrong, but as long as I was keeping my grades up and not getting into trouble, just let it be. But eventually the authorities got involved, and I, and I ended up moving in with my grandmother. But, uh, you know, but I but I know what it's like to have nothing, you know. It's like, oh. You got a song for that you can play? Oh, not a... Not, I don't have a good shoplifting song. I don't know. Maybe it's just a struggling song. You got one of those? Oh, I got a few. You know what I, What I'd like to play for you? I don't know if I can get through it all. Uh, that song I was telling you early, Brooks Robinson's camp about the homeless guy. Oh, all right. Let's hear it. Yes. Okay, see. I'm going to play it in a different key than we recorded it in because I'm a little older and my voice has changed a little bit. So let's see if I can get through this. Oh, Again, yeah. We need to talk about that, too. I want to hear about yeah, that. Yeah, this is, this is literally uh, us after a band rehearsal, sitting in an, an all-night free refills on coffee place, and this guy comes up and just starts ranting. Oh, and man, here we go. There's a be couple good. of references in here that you might not uh, might not get. There's a there's a word fiornal, and that's a, that's a drug uh, that people with migraine headaches take. And there's also the, back at the University of Pittsburgh this nasty thing that people used to do to like torture the homeless is they would throw coins in the urinals in the men's room. Oh, because they knew that the homeless. I mean, that's that that would be their way of humiliating the homeless people. Is you want some money? Yeah, there's go 50 get it, right? Yeah, yeah, go get it. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, so you're gonna hear reference to that. And a lot of people don't like this song because they call it oh, it's the urinal song. But to me, it's I want to hear the urinal song. Let's go. Yeah. Let's hear it. <clears throat> there's a penny heads down in the urinal. It's bad luck at the fast foods today. There's free refills on coffee and some furanol. Then I'm sticking my thumb out in the rain. Seemed like the ball I shine and bright on the south side. Seemed like the rain's been coming down now for a year. There's bitter ends of senses left unspoken, and inside there's this fear. 
out there. They treat you real nice. Get greeted at the door by a veteran who had both his legs blown off trying to save all the veterans' lives. They're good people. They won't insult you. Not like these night cops around here. I see them just staring at me like I'm some kind of like I'm some kind of Iranian or something. I can't even drink my coffee in peace. <laughs> Get out, you bum, you communist. There's a pen of heads down in the urinal. This bad luck at the fast foods today. There's free refills on coffee and some funeral. Then I'm sticking my thumb out in the rain. Well, Brooks Robinson never treated nobody like that. There's always food, plenty of hot coffee, even if you couldn't pay and you didn't even have to be a vet. So why do they have to insult us like this? Me, Brooks, all of us that come from nothing. They're saying we're crazy. I bet they don't remember how we fought them Nazis. I bet they don't remember the trench gunfire over our heads. Thick as the soup here. Well, I hope you never got to see war, boy. I hope you never have to see that day. Shine and bright on the south side. Seems like the rain's been coming down now for a year. There's bitter ends of senses left unspoken, and inside there's this fear. Hey, can you watch my chili dog while I go get another coffee? <laughs> All the money I got. And I don't want, and I don't want, and I don't want. Just look at me now. I was like this out on the street today, trying to bum a ride out to Green Mountain 33. They treat you real nice, the people out there. They don't use no electroshock. They don't use no electroshock. They don't give you no electric shock or nothing. There's a band heads down in the urinal. There's bad luck at the fast foods today. There's free refills on coffee and then some furanol. Then I'm sticking my thumb out in the rain. Seemed like the bar light shining bright on the south side. Seemed like the rain's been coming down now for a year. Raising ends of sense of death unspoken, and inside there's this fear. But I was just trying to get back out there today. Back to Brooks Robinson's camp. Just trying to get back there now. Just look at me now. Whoa, man. I love that song, man. That just brings everything together when it comes to homeless, how shitty people treat them for whatever reason. They feel entitled. They feel like those people are worthless. And it's just, it's a sad world sometimes, man. Well, 
you know, but it's all it's all a question of, of perspective too, because. Uh, okay, you know, you know, I, I was mentioning earlier that I used to always get this this thing that you know your music is so angry, you know, or or it's so depressing. It's like no, it's not depressing and it's not angry. It's just, if you're from some la la land where you never experience trouble, it's troubling to you, but. For, for a lot of people, uh, they just deal with it. You know, they find a way to deal with it. And, uh, you know, they they find a way to smile. You know, some of the most joyful, I told you, we were like magnets for homeless people. We would play live concerts. We played, there's a uh, downtown uh, public square in Pittsburgh called Market Square. And uh, I organized like a series down there, you know, I'd get a permit from the from the city, get a little PA, ask some bands to come down and play. And the homeless people just loved us. I mean, they would go buy us a warrant. I mean, homeless people that got nothing. They would go scrape up their nickels and dimes and come back and give us oranges. They bought oranges. <laughs> nice. You know, they would be dancing in front of the stage, you know. Uh, whatever it was. And, and there one one homeless guy. Uh, he must have somewhere along the line he loved Elvis and so when we were done and we're trying to put away the microphones and trying to break down the PA he's given us Elvis lessons like all the little stage cues and moves that Elvis did oh wow and yeah and then the you know you see some of these homeless guys over the years uh you see the same guy five or ten years later and he doesn't seem like he's aged at all you know and then down in Pittsburgh uh you know, there was a time when they didn't want you to give and they do this in Philly, too. They don't want you to give money to the homeless people. Right. Because. Yeah. They could, so, so give money to the homeless shelter, give money to the food bank, whatever you do, don't give money to the homeless people. It's like, why? Yeah, That's crazy. Look, if, if somebody asks me for help, if I'm inclined, I'm not going to help everybody. But uh, I had an experience. I was coming out of a P Pittsburgh Pirates baseball game one time and I had taken my little niece. And there was a, a lady there with a help the homeless sign. And she was obviously had substance abuse issues and hiding behind the pillar was her boyfriend who was even worse shaped than she was, but they probably put her out with the sign because they yeah. got even more sympathetic. And, you know, so I'm rushing my, my little niece past and my little niece looks up to me and says, don't you want to help the homeless? <laughs> they all say, oh man. Oh, it's so, so like innocent, we go, though, right? Yeah. I give her, I give her the money. She gives the money to the lady, and they say, "Oh, God bless you, child." So you know, there's certain homeless people. Like if I've given to them once, and I see them, I give to them again. So there was this one guy I used to see in Pittsburgh, and then he disappeared. Who knows? Maybe he went south or something. But then months or years later, I see him again. Something. Okay, this is the guy. Every time I see him, I help him out. So I was thinking, I say, oh, I haven't seen you around, you know, what, you know. And he's like, Oh, I've been busy. Like, you've been busy, busy doing what? <laughs> oh, a whole lot of nothing. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know. uh, okay, I'm, I'm think I'm rambling a little bit. You know, I told you I was working with kids. We went down. There was a church in Pittsburgh called the Hot Metal Church. And they had this ministry for the homeless where, like, on Saturdays, they would get everybody together. They'd make sandwiches, 
uh, they would get like brown bags, put in two sandwiches, a piece of fruit, and two pairs of socks. And uh, then they would just go. So I had some of the kids that I was working with, we go down there, you know, to help out. And, you know, ask them, uh, hey, uh, how do you go to the homeless camps? How do you find them? And they said, you don't have to worry about that. They, they know we're coming and they're expecting us. And we're literally all we had to do is show up and homeless people just started like coming like bees to the hive. But not all of them look homeless. Some of them are well-dressed. Yeah. And they're like, hey, I'm not trying to look homeless. I'm doing my best. I'll go to the library. I'll go to the fast food restaurant. But I brush my teeth every day. I shave every day. I try to keep clean clothes on, you know. And, it, and I can't even get on assistance because I don't have a mailing address, you know. Uh, but it was – and then there was one lady. Uh, her name was Peggy Sue Conroy. She was named after the Buddy Holly song, Peggy Sue. Yeah. She, she kissed me on the cheek, and I could smell she – you know, you know, this is like 10 o'clock in the morning. She already has beer on her breath. So she, yeah. she kissed me on the cheek, and she says, you don't probably know I've already been drinking, but I'm trying. Yeah, you don't want to apologize to me. This is a it, whatever you're getting out of us in the way of a little sandwich and a pair of dry socks. We're getting much more out of it, believe me. You know, uh, so I don't know. That's, uh, man, that's that's a lot of good stuff, man. Like <clears throat> I met a lot of homeless people. They've uh, they've swindled me. You know, the thing is, uh, everybody's got that story. And yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it just happens though. But these people, for for the most part, like you said, they're trying. the The one number one thing though that a lot of people don't realize though, when it comes to homeless people, is that they do not have a mailing address. Yeah. I mean, twenty twenty, they don't have that figured out for them to be able to get anything. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like when you're there, there's certain thresholds that you got to cross. To, to like get into society and having having a mailing address is is one of them. Uh, the, the couple of Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Oh, I'm sorry, you broke out. Say it again. Oh, have you ever been to Independence Hall in Philadelphia? No, I've never been to Philly. No. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, you know, it's where they signed the Declaration of Independence and everything. It, it, the Liberty Bells down there. It's a really cool place. There's this big public square. And uh, I went down there with a friend a couple of summers ago, and uh, there was like some kind of Christian ministry band playing under a tent. And uh, yeah, it was a blistering hot day. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I, I go to sit under the tent. I have I had a gallon of water with me and a $20 bill in my pocket. And I see this other guy come up and sit down, and he had, you know, a a knapsack, like an army knapsack. And I saw a piece of cardboard folded up and stuffed into the pouch. And I'm thinking to myself, that cardboard, that's his help. Me. I'm homeless. Sign, I'll bet you. So I went and he's, he's not under the tent because he's want to protect in the ministry in particular. He's under the tent because he's trying to get out of the sun. Yeah. So I just went up to him and said, Hey, uh, I don't mean no offense, but is uh, I, I noticed that, cardboard in your in your uh, bag there or are you homeless and he said yeah and i said oh well hey man uh, i'd like to help you out you want my water first of all i gave him i gave him a gallon of water 
And, uh, and then I gave him the $20 bill and he was telling me, you know, man, I sat on that corner all day long in that blistering hot sun and not a single person would help me out. And they walked by saying, you don't look homeless to me. It's like, I'm not trying to look homeless. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, but, but he was the one who told me about like, you know, you can't get, uh, he can't get on uh, official assistance because he doesn't have a mailing address. And he was saying, you know, it being summertime, he'd rather sleep out on the street than sleep in the shelters because if you get into a shelter, you're infested with bed bugs and everybody wants to fight. So it's like, it's more Yikes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's more peaceful just to find a, a nice, uh, quiet spot, you know, somewhere. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been through anything like that in your life, but. I mean, I, I think this statement holds water, though. I think uh, most people in America, they're a couple bad moves away from just being homeless. Yeah, yeah that's the they, they say everybody's two paychecks away. You know, that, that's another maybe perhaps blessing of the COVID thing is I guess landlords aren't allowed to evict you. And, uh, you know, they're not allowed to foreclose on your home or whatever. But, yeah, that's uh, you're, you're just uh very, very pe people are very close to having nothing. But then again, man, this is a this, our safety net. If if you're good at asking for help, you know, and, and you're resourceful, uh, I don't know. I'm just not afraid. I've been I've been I've been very lucky. I've been very blessed too. Uh, but there's a I don't know. Yeah. Can we hear another song? Yeah. Can we get another yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, okay, you wanna all right. Uh the, I'm gonna play uh all of my friends, which is the line of the song. The the title of the album is called uh Undesirables and Anarchists, and that's from this song. So, oh yeah, we gotta ask you about that too. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, okay. I, I've had a pretty story background, right? I've, I've, I've had nothing. I've lived by shoplifting. I've, I've also, you know, been a published writer, pretty successful as, as a musician. Uh, so, you know, I was politically radical. So, you know, I, I know people all across the spectrum. Uh, and uh, I did have a, a college teacher one time, you know, a real mentor to me who sent away for his FBI file. And he told me uh, he was shocked by some of the stuff that was in there, like dinner conversations that they had. Because <laughs> right, they black stuff out so you, you you can't identify who was spying on you. But he said they had like <clears throat> dinner conversations that he'd had, which you know would make him highly paranoid about who was spying on me at dinner. And, uh, and I said, oh, man, I ought to send away from my FBI file. He said, well, Ooh, man. I never have. But he says, you know, the thing is, though, if you don't have one and you send away for one, you will have one from that point forward. So, They'll be like, why does he want it? Hey, yeah. Yeah, what's he been up to? My friend 
friends turned into fanatics with terrible secrets hidden up in their attics. Closet full of skeletons and old bones they only bring out to play with when nobody's home. All of my friends are on somebody's list of undesirables and anarchists. It's not even safe to admit that you're one of my friends. All of my friends know cause and effect We're notably known for abuse and neglect We're natural targets, we're perfect to blame None of my friends ever runs out of shame All of my friends are taking some kind of rap But your biggest weapon is your handicap Nothing much good ever happens to none of my friends Carving a niche between the dust and the ether, walking in circles, limping along. We're stuck in a ditch, but I'm a believer. I don't know much except right from wrong. Oh, what comedy! Oh, what torture! Oh, what stories we will tell someday, someday. Someday, someday. None of my friends ever has to lose face. We're walking in beauty. We're walking in grace. We're marching like sheep to the slaughterhouse blade. The prize-winning herd at the Macy's parade. None of my friends ever made the first team. You're going to hell. Why not go to extremes? And that the stream go none of my friends. A vanguard of vultures in rarefied air with a high priest of culture. We kneel down for a prayer for the lesbian couples and <laughs> the turkey basters. And the amateur, connoisseur, cyanide tasters, all of my friends, wind scattered and blown, never get too close to the foot of the throne, but they're the best people I've ever known. Carving a niche between the dust and the ether, walking in circles, limping along. We're stuck in a ditch, but I'm a believer. I don't know much except right from wrong. Oh, what comedy! Oh, what torture! Oh, what stories we will tell someday, someday.
You know what I appreciate about your music? I would call it um, Americana. You know what I mean? Like you're you're singing about some real stuff happening along the years in America that people yeah, need to hear. Well, you know, I think you see it in the genre of Americana. You gotta have some kind of country fiddle or maybe a pedal steel guitar. Uh, the Americana people consider me too pop, right? Too rock to be folk, too pop to be Americana. Uh, there, there's a DJ on a station, WRCT. I forget what his name is, but he, one of his taglines is, I can't be prepackaged because I fit in no box. <laughs> yeah, that's that's our problem, man. Well, you know, I was I was talking earlier in our conversation. I mentioned how like there was a time when the band was on the cusp of like bigger success, and we had a meeting with a a lawyer who, who basically gets deals for you know with record labels, and uh, he called us into his office and. We had this album called Beyond the Stormy Blast, really good album. And uh, he said, you know, the first three songs are all really good, but they sound like three different bands. I can get band number one signed, I can get band number two signed, or I can get band number three signed. You guys got to decide what you are. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, our, our model is like the Beatles' White Album. You know, we're all across the map. We cut across genres. Is yeah, but the Beatles didn't come up making the White Album. They came up in one particular type of music. They got successful, and then they branched out. That's what you guys need to do. Like, oh, we've already been doing this for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you're talking but, about like the '90s, right? You, you yeah. mentioned the '90s when you started. Now, the one band that I've loved till this day is Tool. I love okay. the hell out of them. Yeah, well, you know, there, there's a, there's something that happens, you know, where some bands are able to break through, and uh, you know, we weren't one of them. You know, if, uh, if a couple of things had gone differently, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, uh, the important thing is making the music, writing the songs, writing the lyrics, you know, writing the poems. You know, you got to do your thing. And you can't worry about whether it's going to be accepted or not, or what the you know. Yeah. You, you, you try to communicate. You hope for the broadest platform that you can find. But uh, but the main thing is to do. You know, make. Uh, there's a. You never know. You know. You know. You never know. And and, and then the the other weird thing too, is you know I feel like we we've always had a cult following. I know that we've had a profound impact on a small number of people, and I can, you know, I can. I've, I've referenced the band Development Underground several times. One of the songs that they did that was pretty popular or pretty well known is called "Rock and Roll," where there's a line and it says, "Her life was saved by rock and roll." And that sounds like such a stupid. How, how is your How is your life going to be saved by music? Except for my life was saved by music. I know. Hundreds of that's people. that's reality, right there. That's, yeah, that's reality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, you don't know. Uh, I mean, I know there are people I, I've written songs, uh, where I've had people come up to me and say, Man, I didn't know you knew about that. That's the first time anybody ever wrote a song about me. Like, wow, you think that's about you? <laughs> <laughs> 
you're mistaken. I mean, I don't say it. I said, no. Right, yeah. A pretty high compliment, but I'm glad you connected with it on that level. So, you know, there's a, and that's that's the other thing about, you know, the, the not censoring your content. Uh, like I was, we had a drummer that I was playing with a couple of years ago that would want us, he wanted us to give trigger warnings. Like, man, we're, we're playing for adults who are well enough to go out, find a parking place in Philadelphia and come to a, a club that has live music. What do you mean I, trigger warnings? What is that? That, that means, uh, you know, there, there's going to be something in here that might be upsetting to you. So, so I have a song called You Don't Touch Me, which has reference to some domestic violence. And this guy was saying, oh, well, if there's somebody in the audience who's experienced domestic violence, this might re-traumatize them. So what you should do is you should say, trigger warning, this song is about domestic violence. Uh, if that's something that's troubling to you, maybe you should be outside and smoke a cigarette right now. Oh, my gosh. Get Man, out of here. I, I don't got that in me, you know. Now, I mean, I get it, you know, that. Uh, yeah, I get it, too. Yeah, it's understandable. But but my life. That's my, not life, though. It's not life. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, my experience has been the opposite. I've, I've had people who, you know, they don't go around bearing their scars to the world. But I, you know, but I know because I've played the songs that I've had people come up to me and say, man, I played that song. I had an experience like that myself. And I was like, okay. Right. There are, because, uh, you know, how I told you when I was a teenager, and yeah. I was basically abandoned for a while. Man, I, didn't, I wasn't running around telling everybody, hey, uh, guess what? Uh, my, my dad's a drunk and my mom left me and I haven't changed my clothes in a month. Come on over and be my friend. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep it a secret. You know, most people, they suffer in silence. They, they, they suffer individually, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it's not something they go around talking about. It's not. And, and then around other people, it's not even. It's not even if you can do it though, if you're a child and I mean, you're living by yourself and you're just yeah. trying to make friends because you're lonely. I mean, people are going to yeah, take advantage of you. But, but say if you know, say you're playing music for people who basically tried to get away. They came to get away from their troubles. They don't want to think about anything too heavy, you know. For most of them, they're just grooving to the beat. Any other, not even listening that closely. Uh, but I, you know, I've had people say, "Whatever you do, don't play such and such song tonight." Like, man, don't tell me what to play. You know, I, I play it how I feel it. And and if that song comes to me, you know, that's one thing about our band is. We, we would often make set lists, you know, to start the night off. Like, what are we going to open with? What are we going to close with? But it'd be kind of like, especially when I was playing with the piano player, Dave Losey, I'll do a, I'll start a song. And then when we get to the end of the song, somebody in the band will just have the vibe and they'll start playing the next song. And it's almost like name that to, oh, I know what he's doing. And uh, so, so I would say we, we have a repertoire. We don't have a set list. Do a lot and, of people do that? I love I don't that. Know, uh, most, mo most, the higher up you go, uh, the more scripted things tend to become. I, I I don't know why though, right? Why can't you just have fun with it? Why does well, it always have to be a business? That. Well, I think there are people that that's their thing is this this the spontaneity. But like I've gone to see say, well, there, there's some artists that I really really respect because of their spontaneity. Uh, there, there's a guy who I really like named Peter Hamelman, and. Uh, he used to always, every year when he would go on tour, he'd play in Pittsburgh and he'd play in Cleveland. I'm a native Pittsburgher, so we'd see him in Pittsburgh, we'd see him in Cleveland. And 
you know, he tells a lot of funny stories and goofs around. His songs are really heavy, so his banter between songs is really humorous. And he was about to go into this little shtick, and I could tell, oh, he's done this before. This is a little riff that he goes into, but then he songs, and he said, oh, these people heard this one before. So I'm not going to do it. Like, he taught himself, but I'm not going to tell the same joke to the same audience. But I, I see when I was in college, there, there was a, a, a legendary rock club right off the campus of the University of Pittsburgh called the Decade. And Thursday night was Beer Blast. No cover and three little Dixie cups of beer for not for a dollar. You know, oh, man, Dixie cups. No oh, cover. Man. So, but the the regular band they had a few different bands but but there was this band called Sharon and the Blues Devils and they played like blues and R and B covers and they were pretty good but the the leader of the band would tell the same jokes every week the same song introductions every week and I was like look I was here last week you were here last week and you were here I know you know that joke I know you've heard it before aren't you tired of it yet but that was their scripted show. And, uh, man, if they played there every Thursday night for eight months, they never changed their show. You know, I don't want Sharon and the Blues Devils, if anybody hears this, I apologize. I will mean to smear your names. But uh, <laughs> well, I've, I've seen that. And, and, uh, and then another guy who, who kills me, uh, he, he's a hero in Philly. He's a hero in Pittsburgh, you know, Bruce Springsteen. Oh man, the boss, right? Yeah, the boss. Maybe his music, but I know who he is. I I had a job delivering pizzas. And, uh, you know, this is when I was in college. And he was doing a live broadcast. His show from Cleveland, I think it was, was being broadcast on the radio. And everything went dead. Nobody was ordering pizzas during the show. And then when the show was over, you know, I made more money that night than I did all summer long. But he was playing in Pittsburgh the next night. And I'm listening to this show in the car radio, you know, that I deliver the pizzas in. And they, and, and he's going into all these, like, monologues and stuff. And, and it sounds like he's bearing his soul, bearing his heart. You know? um, yeah. And then the next night he plays in Pittsburgh. And he tells the same stories almost word for word. I'm like, oh, man, so this is part of his show. This is what he does. And they... It, it, what year was this, though? No, this would have been maybe Yeah, it's hard to get away with that nowadays. I mean, yeah. people don't understand that, you know, it's a fucking show, man. You know what I mean? Like, you got your yeah. stuff that you just know that's going to tug at some heartstrings, it's going to make something pop. And people don't get think it. About like, like actors in a play, but like, say, somebody who's on Broadway where there's a hit show it will yes. run for like 18 months, run for five years. And the same actor who's known for that role, he goes out and basically says the same thing and does the same thing every night. But he has to do it like he's never done it before. And the audience is feeling like they're, they're, they're totally lost. They're in the, the moment. moment. Yeah. yeah. Right now. That, that's uh, you know, that's a, a lot of skill. I try yeah. to do that, but it's tough. It really is. You know, one thing I wanted to tell you, though, brother. <clears throat> you, you know what I love about you, man? Like, you, you're, like, so real, you know? You're not disgruntled. 
you know, there's a whole lot of people out there. I mean, I met podcasters in my own field, you know, what I do. And they're just so angry about the fact that they've been doing it for a decade. And they still haven't made or just achieved greatness to the levels that they would have wanted. And yeah. you're yeah. just like one of them guys that just love just performing. Just doing well, it. I have, I have been guilty. Okay, I, I've been called angry, you know. And uh, I've had a lot of people tell me I have a bad attitude. Uh, do you believe that? Me? Bad attitude? Uh, but, I think everybody's allowed that, though. Allowed to be yeah, upset at some point in life. There, I mean, there were times when I was younger when I had high hopes. And, you know, I can be pretty demanding on the people that I'm playing with because, and you got, you got to understand that if, if you hope to be successful in this field, how stiff the competition is. And if we're doing material that doesn't fit neatly into any box, basically we got to beat them at their game. We got to be better than they are. Otherwise we don't even get on the playing field. And, uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've tried to have people play with me that have that kind of warrior spirit is, you know, we're not going to let the bad guys win. We're going to go out and do our thing and we're going to make it work and we will not accept, you know. Uh, so so that, that just kind of fierce boldness, you know, that, that you have to have. And, uh, and, and there have been times when uh, – like I, you know, I would try to express this, you know, to, to like journalists, because because there was a time when we were getting all kinds of crazy positive write-ups, you know, like people were sure that we were going going to be very success, successful and popular, and uh, there's a I don't know, man. They you expect better, but. Or you have this big write-up in the paper and somebody comes up and says, oh, congratulations on the write-up in the paper. What kind of music do you play? Oh, so you saw the write-up in the paper, but you didn't bother to read it. you know. And then as much as we're getting all this positive praise, we're having a hard time getting gigs. you know. We're having a hard time. And radio in our hometown won't play us at all. And, uh, you know, I can get pretty edgy about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, man. Uh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. That, let me give you an example. So I, I put an ad on on an ad on this radio list site, and I've gotten so many emails wanting to be on this show, right? Uh -huh. Now, that's not a bad thing, but the thing is I don't do interviews, and that's what most people want. So I, I've gotten to the point where whenever I get another email, I write them back, and I'm like, have you watched any of my stuff? Because if you haven't, Maybe you probably would not want to be on my show because I probably am not the guy you're looking for. Yeah. Don't know exactly what you're talking about. Like people don't know anything about you. They don't know anything. That that's one of the first things I learned, you know, when I when I first went to college and I was I was in this experimental program, it was an amazing program, but basically where you made your own classes, not your own teachers, you know, small group learning. Oh and yeah, I, yeah. A writing workshop. And one of the first things that the guy who was running the writing workshop said, look, if you're going to be writing poetry, you're probably going to be sending your work to little magazines. You need to read little magazines, right? If you're not going to be part of the audience, you, you need to know, you need to support other people who are doing what you're doing. 
And uh, the same thing with, you know, playing in a band. You know, <laughs> my thing was you're either you got a gig, you got a rehearsal, or you're going out to hear somebody and support somebody, right? You're working every night of the week. You're, you know, you, it's okay to take a night off every now and then. But just understand, what are you doing tonight? You're either playing or you're supporting somebody else who's playing. That's the job. Andy Warhol, who's from my, from Pittsburgh, you know, the, the, the pop artist. Oh, yeah, you, I read your uh, your deal about that, yeah. He went out, apparently, with his entourage, like, seven nights a week, you know, for, for years, you know. And, and that that's part of the thing, is being out there supporting other people. Uh, the idea that, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I tried to do my due, due diligence with, with your with your show. You know, I mean, obviously, I have a publicist right now who's trying to hook stuff up for me and, and create opportunities. Oh, I got an opportunity for you, brother. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, but but the thing is, if uh, man, if you're going to be on somebody's show, you should look at this show. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, if it's just rude, it's just it's rude to just, It's like showing up for a party and not bringing anything. <laughs> you know, bring some napkins, but don't show up empty-handed. You know, bring something to the table. Don't be rude. Uh, well, anyhow, this is a this is being a pretty pretty cool show. I know we were talking about maybe doing a half an hour. That was like you know an hour and forty-five minutes ago. So uh, that was. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you need to go, let me know. I mean, I can keep it going for a little bit longer. I well, mean, you, you got a lot of good stuff to talk about, but if you got a cut short, let's uh, let's play a song and then. How about let's uh, let, let's if we're still going, let's let's call it at eleven, because uh, I'm actually in a private residence right now. I have a downstairs neighbor who probably, if I make too much more noise after eleven o'clock, that that would be rude on my part. Oh, you don't want to do that. Yeah. So, so man, if if you know where I, if you could only imagine where I live. Uh, one of the one of the main rivers in Philadelphia is called the Schuylkill River, and I live near a creek called the Perkiomen Creek that's a tributary of the Schuylkill River. So where I live right now, you know, 50 years ago would have been considered a vacation destination for people in Philly. They would have come up here for summer vacation. Really? Yeah. Now it's a little more. Uh, I, I wouldn't call it suburbanized. But there are like housing plants around and what used to be horse farms and cornfields. And uh, but I live right along the creek. And there's uh, the annual Philadelphia Folk Festival, which is canceled this year because of the COVID. Uh, I would be able to go out on my little balcony and listen to the Philadelphia Folk Festival without paying, of course, just because I'm right across the creek. From oh, that sounds amazing! Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a, I mean, I've I've been sitting here like like. Uh, sitting where I'm sitting right now, looking out my window, and a bald eagle fly past. Uh, that's that's not something. I mean, a bald eagle. A bald Man, eagle. I've never seen one. That might not be something you see every day. I've been sitting here. I watched a fox come kind of come up from along the creek, and then it's almost like a cat. He crouches down, jumps up in the air, and comes down face first. And comes out with some kind of mouse. Oh man! And then shakes his head, and then spits the mouse out and walks away. And then I found out that it wasn't a mouse; it was a vole. 
something called a hole, which is like a skunk. It gives off like a like a skunk scent. Like if the fox would have eaten this thing, he probably would have got sick. So he you know had his prize catch. He caught this little mouse, and then so anyhow, I live uh, in a really wild natural place that's just you know. 15 minutes from you know, maybe a half an hour from like I could hop on my bicycle and be, you know, pedal on the bicycle trail and be in center city, Philadelphia. You know, I've done that sometimes ride down the street, get a cup of coffee, run around and ride back. Uh, you got to get that caffeine high going. Yeah. Well, that's, I live on, you know, I'm going to tell you something before you continue though. When we yeah. kill the show, I want to talk to you for a couple minutes after uh, we end the broadcast. All so right. after I kill it, all right? Okay. I want to talk to you about some things. Okay. Well, what do you want to do? You want to play a song? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I got a the I, I do have a screenplay that we're, we we were trying to shop it for a while, but the the lead character, one of the first musicians that I ever, you know, the first guy that I started my first band with, a guy named John Creighton, came up with a little nickname for him, Johnny Blowtorch. Uh, he, he was uh, just a real hardcore. I mean, Ooh, if you, I play part of that song, yeah. Well, I'm gonna play, uh, yeah, the ballad of Johnny Blowtorch. This guy was the mildest, most humble, soft-spoken guy in the world. And then when he stepped on stage, it was like somebody plugged him in. You know, he he was an incredibly. I mean, he could make music with anything. If you gave him a a, a stick and a stone. In fact, he went on to start a band called Stick Against Stone. And he could make <laughs> but he just was not cut out for this world. When he reached the phase of his life where he had to like get a job, he was just not meant to have a job. He was meant to do nothing but make music. And uh, yeah, that's rough, man. At one point, he was delivering photographic plates for some kind of company in downtown Pittsburgh, and he was always running behind schedule, so he never had time to eat. So instead of eating, he would eat Rolaids, you know, or Tom something to settle his stomach. And then when he got super tired and he would start to get body aches, instead of, you know, eating food and sustaining his energy, he would take aspirin. So he's living off of Rolaids and aspirin and uh, looking pr like pretty bad, you know. And, wow. Uh, you made a song out of that, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So here, the Ballad of Johnny Blowtorch. Well, all you ever wanted was to hang on a cross, yeah. To be famous as a martyr for a long lost cause, yeah. And every day you don't die, your legend keeps growing. About somebody so deep, you wonder how that keeps going, yeah. Your knees are threadbare and your ass is showing. And when you're slept in a bed, there's no knowing. You're eating garbage, your complexion is spotty. You want chiseled physique, now hangs over your body. And your barrel is empty, you scrape at the bottom. The things that you're looking for, nobody's got them. Here comes a face from your past, don't pretend you don't see me. Well, if I ever get lucky and score, you wanna be me. 
through a ceremony strikes up the band, yeah. And he snuffs a cigarette out on the back of his hand, yeah. <laughs> the march of man in chaos beats a whole ride through its drums. And rats have got no teeth now at the traps for flapping gums. Say that I'm a sucker cause I waited for you But I ain't giving up because I know you'll come through It makes me feel like an island, like a one-man gang Who's going down like a pump with your cap gun bang Your barrel is dry Because the things that you're looking for you can't even buy it comes a face from your past, don't pretend you don't see me. If I ever get lucky and score, you wanna be me. Whoa, the ballad of uh what what was it, blowtorts? Johnny Blowtorch. I was going to say Johnny. Fuck. That was just like, is there something else? Yeah. Man, your music is just, uh, it's a miracle for life, brother. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, I, look, I, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to play it, man. You know, so. That's all we have in life, though, is opportunities and memories that we make, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. So what do you got coming up, brother? What do you got? You got anything? Uh, just uh, anything? Oh well, look, I I tried every everything is shut down. Now I do see some places are starting to open up a little bit. I know some places have an outdoor music, and uh, like my favorite venue to play in Pittsburgh, it's actually in the Blues Hall of Fame. It's called Moon Dogs. Uh, they I see that they have a couple of live shows set up. I know I'm going back. A, like a private memorial for an artist who passed away in Pittsburgh in late September. But I'm basically, you know, doing these virtual things, uh, you know, through Philadelphia Area Songwriter Society, yeah, uh, th that kind of stuff. Uh, I had, I had like a little tour booked for the Pacific Northwest. I had stuff in uh, Seattle and Portland. Uh, I was going to stop off. I wasn't even going to take my guitar. I was going to stop in Boise, Idaho. I have a friend who lives there. I was going to fly out to Boise, borrow one of his guitars, and then head west from there in a rental car. Everything's canceled. And all the places that I contact, they're like, well, we might not even be booking anything till 2021. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> yeah, so, but that, you know, look. Maybe there are, there are things happening on a more ground level for like younger people. I'm old, so I'm going to be out of the loop. So uh, the, the resources that I have access to, everything's kind of closed for the time being. Uh, then again, levels of playing field. You know, while everybody else is doing nothing, you know, I'm doing my own. Got to do something. Play. You can't just sit there. Yeah. Yeah, getting ready. Uh, but, uh, you know, I love to play. I mean, my ideal thing would be wake up in the morning knowing that I'm playing somewhere tonight. And uh, and I would do it. We've been having your uh, your website just scrolling across the screen, looking ever so sexy, though. But is yeah, there any yeah. other places that you want people to 
find you at? No, man. The, the best place is littlewretches.com, www.littlewretches.com. And, you know, I, I have a Facebook. You know, the, you look up the Little Wretches on Facebook, and, and we have that. Uh, you know, so you know, we post our digital things and uh, got a, got a couple of reviews for the album that were, were positive, and ho hopefully we're going to see more of that. I mean, I, I look, I, I would like for whatever genre that I'm in, I would like for people who know and care about music for my name to be in the. You know, I, I don't want to use a boxing analogy, but I, I want I want to be in the ring, man. I, I want people who talk about music to say. Oh, did you ever hear the little wretches? You know, I'd like there to be a scene of people where if you don't know about the little wretches, like where you been, you know. <laughs> in the meantime, you know, nothing uh, wrong with that. Yeah, in the meantime, that's uh, I am I am for my papa hat, I am what I am, you know. So, man, that thing is you, man. That's 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 you. You are what you are, right? There you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the other, the other hat I have, uh, you ever see the movie, the original Magnificent Seven, Stephen Queen and Yoda Brett? They did a remake of the Magnificent Seven with Denzel Washington a couple of years ago. But uh, yeah, I got a, I got this cowboy hat in the style of Stephen McQueen from the Magnificent Seven. Woo! Yeah, yeah. I uh, looked it up on a website. Some guy in Utah, you know, pr private hat maker. So I ordered a hat. It took forever for me to get that hat. And, uh, of course, in the movie, it's got all kinds of sweat stains and stuff. I, I'm doing my best to get it nice and sweaty. And gritty, but uh, Yeah, you got to make it look legit. Yeah, I'm having a hard time, you know. So if you guys don't already know, this is Robert Wagner with the Little Wretches. Yeah, you see you. his website scrolling across. Check it out. You guys already know this is a world-renowned Joe Madness show. And you, anything else, Mr. Wagner? You got something else to say? Show, man. Well, look, thank you. Well, we're going to talk when we get off the air, but thank you so much. This was such a, this was such a cool thing. You know, this is like, <clears throat> yeah, like, hey, so we're just talking. We're and just here, talking. This is like one of the best, uh, like, of the verses. <laughs> I feel like literally, I mean, your picture's right there, and I know my picture's right next to it. But if we, I feel like we're in the same room. This was, this is, for me, a very good very good night of my life, you know. Thank Man, you. you know, likewise, brother. I love it. Probably yeah. one of the best guests I've ever had on the show when I haven't had any because I don't do that, you know, it's just not my bag. But we're out, bitches. All right.